Not a lot of people walk around buying $28 billion worth of stuff every year, but our guest on today's show does. Automakers spend a fortune every year buying parts, components, materials, and services, and that's why suppliers are eager to get that business. But for years, suppliers have openly criticized the way that Detroit's car companies have beat them up over price concessions and how they've taken their technology and shopped it out to other suppliers to see if they can get it even cheaper still. Now Detroit's automakers say they're out to change all that and are going to treat their suppliers as true partners. Of course, suppliers have heard all that before, but ever since last year's bankruptcies, there's no question there's a whole new attitude in town. Maybe this time it will be different. And we're about to find out because my guest on today's show is Dan Knott, the Senior Vice President for Purchasing for Chrysler. And joining me on my journalist panel are Daniel Howes from the Detroit News and Eric Main from WardsAuto.com. So stay right where you are. We'll be back to learn about how Chrysler is going to run its purchasing operations right after this. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to this edition of AutoLine Detroit with our special guest today, Dan Knott, the head of purchasing at Chrysler. Dan, great to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's a great time to be talking about automotive stuff and purchasing. It is. And you were actually on the show, you were reminding me about eight or nine years ago yeah. when you were running SVT operations at Chrysler. Uh, SRT. S SRT, yeah. excuse yeah, that's me. Those guys wrong across brand. The yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that one. <laughs> and also joining us today are Daniel Howes from the Detroit News and Eric Main from WardsAuto.com. And great having the two of you here as well. My pleasure, John. Let me start out this way, Dan. Uh, boy, suppliers were hopping mad at Chrysler with your predecessor. Some have described him as the worst purchasing guy that's ever been in the business. Uh, but even before he got there, suppliers were very uncomfortable the way that Chrysler was treating them. Goes for your crosstown rivals, too. Uh, mm -hmm. Things seem to be getting better. What are you doing about trying to really establish a firm relationship? Because if you go back to the 90s when Tom Stahlkamp was running Chrysler Procurement and Supply, he had suppliers eating out of his hands. What are you doing to get back to that kind of relationship? Well, for one thing, he's made it one of our top objectives. Um, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that we have to have, we don't have a business relationship, but we have to have accountability on both sides of the table and transparency. And so by making it one of our key objectives, our entire team is fully aligned. We're, we're actually creating something we call the house of purchasing right now. And one of our key pillars is supplier relationships, where we measure ourselves in supplier relationships. We focus on it. So fixing legacy issues, there are too many things that we've had festered for too long, and they create opportunities for disagreement. It's emotional-based arguments, and it's not data-based arguments. We're bringing back our external balance scorecard where we measure suppliers on various metrics, and we sit down with them on a regular basis, and we say, here's our strategy going forward, and here's the metrics of your performance, and here's how we can both work together to improve the performance. It isn't just pointing at the supplier and saying, you must fix this metric. It's about what we can we do together to build and fix this metric. One of the things that suppliers have, a couple of things suppliers have really looked at, get us in early, involve us early, just don't throw blueprints at us and have us quote on them, let us help design cost out. Uh, is that something that you'll be going towards? Absolutely. We've sourced the Fiat 500 program, um, program faster than anything we've ever sourced. What would happen in the past is we'd get suppliers on board three to six months after the start of the program, and it was just too late. And we put them in a box where they were failing. And then at the end of the day, we pointed fingers at them because they were failing. 
My objective is we get our arms around each other as quick as possible when the program gets approved. We start down the path together, we're working very closely, and at the end of the day, we're putting our arms around each other with thumbs up instead of pointing fingers at each other. One, one of the reasons price, one of the reasons relationships I think were so poor is that you know, price reduction was such a big component of uh, the interaction. Yeah. It, it, was, it was in many cases tied to the, the compensation package that the buyers had. What, what kind of uh, uh, dynamic do you have there in terms of your, your, your buyer's compensation? Uh, well, Are they being rewarded for driving prices down, for instance? We have cost reduction objectives, that's clear, and, and that we will never get away from that because the market doesn't give us the cost increases for regulatory actions or whatever. So we will definitely focus on that, but it is not the only metric. And, and as we get a better relationship with the suppliers, they're going to bring more value to us, and we'll have the opportunity to reduce that cost. I will tell you it's not a love-in, though. You know, we, We'll end up may, perhaps sourcing a little bit to a higher price guy, but we'll have better quality, we'll have better program execution. So it's about the right balance. I think in the past, American businesses tend to push on the magic button. The magic button two or three years ago is cost reduction. So we all ran over the other side of the ship and pushed the button. You can never have the one button. You have to have the best balance. And, and that balance will change depending upon this, what's going on in the industry. Dan, that almost sounds like a kind of a Toyota uh, approach to purchasing, which tended to focus more on relationships and better quality, uh, if, even if they're paid a little bit more, but they mm -hmm. were able to get more out of, of folks. Is, is right. that fair? Is that a fair Yeah, statement? I think that's a very fair statement, Daniel. Now, you, you mentioned the Fiat 500. I assume you're talking about the 500 that would be sold in the United States. Yes. How much um, overlap do you have with the suppliers for the 500 that's sold in other parts of the world? 66% of the supply base for the U.S. version was new. So 34% then was carryover. Most of that was looking for NAFTA-based manufacturing uh, because of the logistics of shipping from Europe over here. In the Fiat 500, there's also a lot of small, smaller suppliers that didn't necessarily have the capacity. But with a car that's that small and, and is going to be sold at a, at a relatively low price point, can you, can you get the kind of quality uh, that you want uh, and still... Uh, still be able to afford it and put out an affordable product? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's a bit of a niche product, um, and so the, the, the market excitement is pretty strong. Mm -hmm. And so you're not going to see two or 300,000 of those things. Right. But I think for the market that we're going after, quite strong, and they're willing to pay maybe a little bit more for the character and the panache of the brand in right. the vehicle. But then we're finding lots of opportunities with our incumbent suppliers to, to leverage their capacity here. Mm -hmm. On the subject of commonality, I think in your November 4th presentation, you, you expressed uh, Chrysler had a target of was it six, reaching 62% commonality with Fiat. Yes, is that in correct? the supply base. Yeah. And, and you were, what, at 54 or something? Yeah. So where, we'll where are you at now? We're going to 10%. I think we're probably at a 56 or 58%. I, wouldn't, I don't have the exact numbers. So you're, you're ahead of the curve in terms of being there by 2014? or? Yeah, but I will tell you, Eric, that there, there's, not a, there's not a cohesive strategy that says I'm that's my number I'm targeting on. Um, because, again, it's that push-button mentality that I'm, and I'm not very excited about. What it is is as we source to, this, for example, the new C&D segment programs, which between Chrysler's volume at 800,000 units on that platform plus Fiat's at 200,000 roughly, we're at about a million units off of that platform. So by working together to source that business, the natural evolution will be we'll have a, a more of a shared supply base. 
Dan, uh, one of the criticisms that's come, uh, again, going back to this uh, contentious relationship between OEMs and suppliers, is that the guys at the top in your position have always talked, you know, loves and hugs and everything for suppliers, and we're going to treat you as real partners. But when you get down to the buyer level, it's still beat them up, get the price. What are you doing to change things at the buyer level from how you uh, evaluate, reward, and compensate them to really drive a change at that level? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's communicating at all levels of the company. So I do walk-arounds where I go and sit at a buyer's desk and tell me what's bothering you today. What are the things we should work on? I think one thing, when you look at our management team at Chrysler, a lot of us have very strong operational backgrounds. So I don't come in from, I didn't kick my feet up on the desk the first day I got the job and sit back and count my stock reports. Right? My objective is to get into the infrastructure of the organization and look at it operationally. What are we doing? I'll set the high-level vision and strategy, but my, most of my day is spent working my entire team, removing roadblocks, understanding what they need, and delivering that message personally so they, they feel it. Every week in my staff meeting, we review status of purchase orders, what's late, what's on time, and what objectives have we, our initiatives are we starting for the supply base, and are they on time to implement? And what objectives and issues are we starting for our employees, and are they on time, and are we implementing them? I was surprised to learn there's a logistics companion to the world-class manufacturing uh, program yeah. that Fiat has. Is there also a procurement, world-class procurement program that Fiat has that you're adopting? Not in name. Not in names. But what we do is Johnny Cota, who is my counterpart, every week we spend two hours together in a conference call, and we review synergies, initiatives, strategies, and also sourcing. So if he's sourcing an axle for a Case New Holland tractor, then I review what he sourced and you know, the strategy behind his sourcing. So we're sharing strategies that way on Why a weekly basis. That? Why do you review it? I mean, because you're not buying right. axles for tractors. Right. But it's the mindset behind the sourcing, the business mindset behind the sourcing strategy that we're interested in. So it, how do you interface with them? Uh, I think it's a really interesting question. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in, in one of its... What two lives ago for Chrysler? You know, it was you tried to mesh with with the Germans in yeah. Daimler, and mm -hmm. it didn't do a very good job in a lot of cases. Um, how much of, a, of an interface is there now in terms of purchasing on on common products and common mm -hmm. platforms? Mm -hmm. There's a ton of interface. I was over there two weeks ago, and we spent a week talking about our C and D segment sourcing strategy, mm -hmm. status of our cost reduction objectives, things like that. So. The, the key difference, I think, is we have a common mindset. They were in trouble five years ago right. and made huge turnaround. And we were in trouble five years ago and in trouble again. And so working together with the same common mindset, the brands are don't, you, we don't have this huge separation of brands that we had in, in the previous partnerships. That creates a common mindset. And then we break down all of our barriers. We don't talk about, you know, is it a Fiat scorecard versus a Chrysler scorecard. It's one scorecard at the end. Of the day. Does it feel a lot different than it did in the Daimler days? Absolutely. It feels a lot different. Can you, can you just give us a quick description uh, as to how it's different? Yeah. First of all, scorecarding, I can't um, uh, overemphasize how much scorecarding hurts us because what happens is if, you, if the four of us were running a company, and you had a scorecard and I had a scorecard and you were only protecting your scorecard, we will absolutely fail. Absolutely. And we've seen it. I grew up in this industry. I saw it for 25 years. That is not happening. We work together for the common scorecard. Sure, he has one and I have one. But at the end of the day, I will hurt mine to help the company if at the end of the day the company is better. And in our case, our measure is product. 
I keep telling my people, you can source the best purchaser in the world, but if the product's not right, it's not. We're right. not going to get there. So there is, Johnny Coda and I have individual scorecards, but we do what's right for the company, and then we'll check the impact in the scorecard. Mm -hmm. Talk about what's right for the company. Uh, a lot of purchasing in this town especially was all piece price, piece price, piece price. Never standing back and looking at total cost. Yeah. And I don't mean total landed cost. I mean total life cycle yes. cost, including warranty. Yes. And you get what you pay for. You can pay and get a, something a little bit better, and you save on warranty. How are you uh, incorporating total component cost into how you buy? Yeah, part of it, it starts with the external balance scorecard. So each of those things you mentioned are metrics on that scorecard. Then when we bring the sourcing business together, we look at it that way. So for example, in the past, we wouldn't always look at exchange rates. So we wouldn't necessarily understand the risk of our business model out there. Bringing the warranty side into it. So each of, when I do a sourcing table review, each one of those metrics is on the page, and we rank them, you get red, yellow, green, and then if they're red, we gotta have a pretty good understanding of how we're gonna manage that going forward. Sometimes we have to do that, if there's only one supplier in that technology, for example. But uh, I'm happy to say that uh, in the last six months that I've been part of the process, we haven't had any of those reds. We've had yellows and greens, and we have programs to manage the yellows. What about in terms of where you go for, for sourcing under Cerberus? Uh, Bob Nardelli made no bones about the fact that he was going to go try to find the, the lowest uh, uh, lowest price supplier he could find. There was there was that situation where they brought the cheap seats back from India, and, and that's since been reversed. What, where, what kind of boundaries are you operating with? Yeah, I will not um, right now. I will not say I want 20% in a market. Okay, because I don't. Frankly, that's another push button mentality. What I'm interested in is I want the lowest cost, best quality, best performance, best partnership. That's another metric we have to have is the best partnership, and that's measured by those external balance scorecards and others. And then where, what is the most effective way to place that anywhere around the world? What I absolutely insist is that we look around the world. In the past, we didn't look. And so what happened is there was this management reaction to say, go to China, because I know you guys aren't looking in China. What I want, I want to know what's going on in China, India, Hamtramck, Botswana, but what's going on around the world, and I'll source it to the best place with the best supplier. We're seeing all kinds of new technology come into the auto industry right now, particularly electric cars are, are the hot thing. Chrysler is going to be doing all the EVs for Fiat, which I find very interesting, mm -hmm. including the, the EV500, which you talked about. Is it hard to go and try to figure out who to buy from when you start getting into all this new technology and batteries and electronics and electric motors and the like? Yeah, I think it is because we were talking a little earlier about this entre entrepreneurial business model in, in EV. There's a ton, right? Everybody and their brother are starting something up. So the ability to analyze that, look future, the potential for that supplier is something that can be cha challenging and tricky. So you have to look at, well, we talked about capital before, right? You have to look at the capital structure behind it to make sure that they're still there. Um, but I think we're doing pretty well with that because we've had a lot of experience with EVs, even though we haven't put them into production. And we're also gathering experience from around the industry. For the last year or more, uh, we had kept hearing dire warnings of uh, an imminent supplier collapse. And I think when you think back on it now, you realize, gee, there really wasn't as much. And it didn't come to fruition. And it was always, well, if they're going to start production again, then that they're going to the call for cash. Then you're going to have some more collapse. Why hasn't that happened? Well, I think it's general. yeah. I think it's a couple of things. I think you know American businesses won't give up, and we've seen that right through the last year and a half. Um, I think 
the strength of the combined partnership in the U.S. was stronger than we thought. So when a supplier was on the brink, mm -hmm. GM, Ford, ourselves, and other OEMs came together as a team to support that supplier because we know that if that one guy goes down, whether it's a screw, a bracket, or something really high-tech, right. if we lose it, we're in trouble. So we all came together to manage that. And again, it wasn't a loving. Sometimes the guys across town did something that I, might, I wouldn't like. But I think with that, with the government's help uh, in both sides of the border, at least for in our case with Canada and the U.S., um, that whole partnership came together to prop them up. We lost some, and it hurt us, and we ended up having to resource a fair amount. The other thing is we were fast on our feet in resourcing to suppliers that you know, we knew were stable mm -hmm. and to move away to protect ourselves. But the first thing always was, can we bring a partnership together to prop that supplier up? I note, I note that your counterpart at General Motors, also uh, fairly new in his job, is, is now moving to a quicker payment, I think, yeah. uh, I think on a monthly basis as opposed to, uh, or maybe even weekly. 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 Um, are, you, are you going down that road as well? Is that something you are, are going to do and emulate? Is it something you need to do in this environment? I don't see a strong need to do it. Clearly, suppliers would like us to do it, of course. Mm -hmm. But I still, we still have to manage cash flow. Um, what I'm focusing on is paying them on time. So when we say we're going to pay them, we pay them. That's accountability and transparency. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm so focused on getting our claims process quickly. So if you have, you have an investment with me that you don't get paid for for a year or two, that's not right. right. It's just not right. So let's get that stuff fixed. In terms of, terms of uh, net terms of payment, um, we will most likely not reduce that because, again, it's part of a cash flow management perspective. Also, I think if we extend it, in this market with some of the suppliers where they're at, I think would, that would be a real challenge. I couldn't look you in the face and say, well, I want a good partnership, and oh, by the way, I'm not going to pay you for another 20 days or 30 days. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's inconsistent with the discussion. Mm -hmm. GM's also integrating uh, <coughs> uh, closely its, its engineering operations with its, with its procurement operations. Mm -hmm. uh, are, does, does Sergio Marchionne's sort of flat organizational structure allow you to do that? Yeah, there, there's sort of two major groups within the company and the management team. There's the industrial team, which is manufacturing, engineering, purchasing quality, and supply and demand. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then on the other side, there's the commercial side. So the brands, uh, Ralph Gilles and, and Fred Diaz, um, and, and uh, yeah, and the, and the commercial side. So the two of them come together on a regular basis for different committees, but the industrial team is locked at the hip. They're locked and loaded. So Scott Colson and I sit next to each other. The fact that I had 25 years in engineering helps because I know where the skeletons are all buried and who to talk to. <laughs> um, but we meet on a daily basis. We like each other. We all kind of grew up together. We're similar age and similar mentality. So it works really well. Yeah, I'm curious about that, that industrial side too. Um, especially the indirect side of your business, are, are how many how many plants do you expect to, to retool in the next five years? And will can we expect that Kamal Pico will have the inside track on on that tooling, given its relationship with Fiat? You're going to leverage that? Um, well, uh, in terms of plants retooling, the C and D segment program will drive most of that. Um, we're putting the Fiat 500 into Luca, as you know, so we'll have a little bit of there. I don't have the exact number, but those that those products will, are what will drive it. Um, in terms of the second part of the question, Eric, again? Uh, Fiat's relationship with yeah, Kamal Pico, yeah. are you going to be able to leverage that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But if if I'm a supplier out there listening to this that's in that in tooling, I would say, well, wait a minute now. They have the inside track, so therefore I don't have opportunity. Not the case. 
uh, we do a full competitive bid uh, and analysis. And so we, we make it the slate very clean and very transparent so we see what our advantages are. I will tell you that Kumau has been implementing a production system that we've had for some time. In, in Belvedere and... Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's a little bit of that advantage, but we are not, we're not ignoring that when we look at an alternative supplier. And in fact, in the case of the 500, Komau didn't get all the business. There were other suppliers who got pieces of business that made sense for that business. Eric raised a great point, I think, in that if you go back to the good old days when yeah. Detroit was really humming, purchasing was really sort of an adjunct to engineering. The engineers decided what should be in a car and purchasing went out and bought it. Yeah. When you got into in, in the last couple of decades where uh, it was all about cost reduction, purchasing rose to become a fundamental part of how management looked at a way of cutting cost. Yeah. Where is it going to come down with you running this operation as an adjunct to purchasing or as a standalone operation that, that really is almost its own P&L center? adjunct. We are locked at the hip. We must be. Because again, the end of the day, it's the product. It's the product. And it's not how Bell I run purchasing. I can be the best purchasing guy in the industry. Hopefully some people will say that. It doesn't really matter. If the car's not good, I don't care how good of a job I did. I will feel bad. I don't have that score. So, so what are these new products going to look like? That's what I'm dying. <laughs> no, 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 I don't mean look like, but I mean, oh, I do mean look like, yeah. <laughs> feel like. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the, I think the Grand Cherokee comes here very soon, yeah. 300 by the fall. Um, and according to Sarah Marchione, we're going to see an all-new lineup at the Detroit Auto Show in January, which I think is going to be a bit of a neat trick. But what are they going to look like? What are they going to feel like? How are they going to be different? Yeah. Um, it's an interesting question because the first re gut reaction to anybody will be, well, it's got the best material and it's got the highest cost interior. And if we do that, then we'll price them up and, frankly, we won't be able to afford to do them. The new Grand Cherokee I spent 11 hours in last week. I drove down to Cummins, our diesel engine manufacturer. Blow you away. By far the best car we've ever done. It's got the right interior. It's elegant. It's got the right feel. We sourced it well, so we, it's very cost-effective. The exterior is great styling. Uh, it reminds me of the 99 Grand Cherokee, which I happen to lead, so I'm you know, a little partial there. Mm -hmm. But um, the vehicle performance is great. We were reviewing some of the metrics this weekend. The functional performance in that car is the best we've ever done. Now, is that representative of the Fiat, of, of, of the Fiat era? Or is the Grand it, Cherokee? Yeah. Yeah, I think the Grand Cherokee, is, I think it's indicative of the engineering move that we were making over the last three to five years. The Ram pickup truck, which one motor truck, right. truck of the year, that's indicative of the engineering process we were using. Mm -hmm. Now comes along Fiat, and we're using the launch quality, la the quality of launch processes very closely with Fiat. And I think if there's anything on the Grand Cherokee that we've grown from, it's that relationship in terms of how we launch it. Because well, one of the things we certainly have seen from the Detroit uh, players, uh, the other two, is is uh, each new launch, these products are better and better and better. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they look good on the road, they feel good, they handle well. Um, and you would hope that Chrysler, as they start to roll these things out, we're going to get that kind of same kind of almost epiphany of saying this is a different kind of product. You are. You are. Because, and a lot of it is because of the metrics that we focus on internally in the company. Consumer reports, J.D. Powers, warranty, um, interior fin finish, touch. All of those things are critical metrics from the beginning of the program. We didn't focus on it before. We hoped that they could, the outcome was good. But sometimes, I think in, in our companies, we tend to use our gut reaction, say that's the answer. 
And I think you end up with a car defined by the management team right. that isn't defined by the masses that actually buy them. So it isn't a car that I necessarily would love in every case. It's a car that the, the customer we're selling to needs to love. I mean, I ran SRT. I'll take SRTs all day long to drive. Um, but at the end of the day, I'll sell 10. Right. Right. What we need to do is sell hundreds of thousands right. to people who really want them. Well, like we just take advantage of having the former SRT chief here and ask him, you know, what's what's the landscape of the performance market going to look like down the road? You know, we're seeing a lot of different. You know, uh, Camaro has been a very strong product. Yeah. Uh, you, the Challenger has done well. Uh, by the same token, we're hearing a lot of buzz about the uh, the Abarth version of the 500. Have you driven that? You've, yes. And we're down okay. to the last minute. We need a real quick answer. Okay. Yeah. It, absolutely sweet. I think the performance industry will bring efficiency in. Um, but you'll you'll continue to see great product out there that'll blow people away for performance. Real good. Well, Dan Ott, thanks so much for coming in and Thank giving you. us uh, how you're moving Chrysler purchasing along. Daniel Howes, great having you from the Detroit News. Eric Main from uh, WardsAuto.com. And uh, I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. You know, the feedback I'm getting from suppliers is that they truly believe Dan Knott is changing the way that Chrysler deals with them. I'm hearing about how engineering changes that suppliers suggest are being implemented far faster than they ever were in the past, and how the company is sharing cost savings with suppliers, which is motivating them to come up with even more ideas on how to cut costs. Of course, the real indication as to whether Chrysler's turning around or not will be with the new products that the company has coming this year, and how car buyers warm up to those products. We should have not all that long to wait. But that brings us to the end of this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.